The prodigal son parable is right up there with the Good Samaritan as one of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells. And it's going to be our focus this morning. We are continuing on with our sermon series, The Moral of the Story, where we are looking at some of the most well-known stories and parables that are only found in Luke's gospel. We began with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week, you may remember, we looked at the story of Mary and Martha. This week, we'll cover the prodigal son. And next week, we'll look at the story of Zacchaeus. So we're kind of going parable, story, parable, story, which I like. I think it kind of keeps us on our toes between looking at things that actually happened in Scripture and then these stories or parables that Jesus uses to make illustrations or specific points. Just like all of the other weeks, I want to challenge us to suspend what we think we know about this parable, the prodigal son. I want us all to not write it off like we already know the message, and I want us to embrace the story this morning with fresh eyes, and maybe we'll learn something we've never learned before. As we jump into this parable, we of course have to set the scene. This story takes place in the 15th chapter of Luke. So Jesus and his disciples are still on their journey. They are journeying to Jerusalem. The parable of the Good Samaritan and the story of Mary and Martha, they have both already occurred. They happen in the 10th chapter of Luke. And we don't know where Jesus is exactly, which town he is when he tells the story of the prodigal son. We just know that they are traveling and they have stopped and wherever they go, people follow. Large crowds follow Jesus and his disciples all along the journey. So our setting for today is actually given to us in the very first few verses of this chapter. Luke writes, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them? Jesus told them this parable. Jesus begins sharing two parables, the parables of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. In the first one, one of 100 sheep is missing, and the shepherd goes to find it. The shepherd succeeds once he's found the sheep, and he celebrates. In the second parable, a woman has 10 coins, and she loses one of them. So she searches for this coin all over her house, and when she finds the coin, she celebrates. Both of these parables are only a few verses long, and Jesus concludes both of them with the same message. That same celebration, the celebration over the lost sheep and the lost lost coin, that celebration will also be have in heaven for any sinner who changes both heart and life. So Jesus actually surmises both of these parables, which is a little unusual. Then, Jesus goes in to a third parable, a much more detailed and nuanced story that we all know as the prodigal son. 
We're going to read it from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. After those two parables, Jesus continued. He said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When the younger son had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and the son became in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The younger son longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but here I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So the son got up and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on this son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say thanks be to God. There are a ton of different interpretations on this particular parable. But like we said earlier, I want us to try our hardest to kind of suspend those preconceived notions. I want us to put fresh eyes onto this parable and see what we might glean from each character. Just like we did with the Good Samaritan and the story of Mary and Martha, I want us to look at each character and see if we can identify with them in a new way. When I read this particular parable of Jesus's, I am forced to confront two truths, that there is a fear of failure that rings within all three characters, the younger son, the older son, and the father, and there's also a potential for redemption or a restored relationship between all three characters, too. Let's begin, of course, with the younger son, the one who gets his inheritance and leaves it home, or like Haley demonstrated, took a dollar and tore it up. It is really tempting for us to look down on this brother. The younger brother demands his inheritance from his father. Then he uses it up on what the Bible calls extravagant living, only to find himself without. We don't know the younger brother's motivation for going out into the world. We don't know if maybe he'd always dreamed of something more than living off his father's land. 
We don't know if maybe he was following some great calling or path in life. We don't know if maybe he really did just take advantage of his situation and squandered away all that he had. We just know that the younger son was without because of the extravagant lifestyle he lived out in his own. And now he finds himself in need. So he is so in need, in fact, that he feeds pigs in order to provide for himself. And even then, no one gave him anything and he ate worse than the pigs he was in charge of feeding. From the beginning, we see the younger son as a risk taker. He could have feared turning out like his father and older brother, so he went out and tried to make a name for himself, only to be met again with the very real fear of absolute failure. He was desolate and starved, In what ways do we understand the younger brother, the one who took a risk and ended up with an empty hand? In what ways do we yearn for more? In what ways do we live in extravagance that ends up affecting us negatively? Not one of us in this room is perfect. We all know the younger son. We are all the younger son. We have had our hopes and our dreams dashed. We have all had a moment where it felt like things couldn't possibly get worse. We know this feeling. And the younger son, at his lowest point, takes another risk. He takes a chance at finding redemption in his story by going back and owning up to the mistakes he's made to his father. And the younger son knows that his fear of failure has come true. He can't ignore that he has failed miserably here. And yet something moves him to go back home, to take one more chance, not to beg or to ask for more money, but to serve and to just have enough to sustain his life. And as the young, younger son approaches his father, he's met with a celebration. He's not met with a scolding father, not with an, I told you so, not embarrassed glances or avoidance. He's met with a straight up celebration. At his lowest, the son is welcomed back and given a chance at redemption. Isn't that what we all hope for in our lowest moments? That we may be seen and accepted and welcomed. Which moves us into the next character, the father. Again, I'm going to ask us to suspend what we previously heard about the father character. I want us to just go off what we have read in scripture, that there is a father who has two sons. And when one son says, give me my share of the inheritance, the father does it. As a parent, I have a lot of questions about this. 
is he setting his son up for success here? Or is this like some big thing to let him make his own mistakes and his own life choices? The father knows his son. He knows the potential downfalls here. And still, he gives him his share. We don't see the father shun the son angrily because of his demand. We don't see any reaction on the father's part at all, except to give him the money and step aside. While the younger son is gone, living extravagantly and then living without, I wonder again what the father is thinking. Does he imagine he will ever see his younger son again? Is he concerned about his safety, about his well-being? Does he maybe have regrets about giving over the money? Has the father heard rumors about all these adventures his son has been on? The father, too, may have experienced fear of failure as a father, that he wasn't able to keep his son at home with him, that maybe his son experienced hardships that he could have prevented. Maybe the father has regrets that he didn't run after him and convince him to stay. We know that at least some of these thoughts must have been swirling around his head during the time the younger son was gone, or else we would not get the beautiful scene once the son returns where the father literally runs to him, wraps his arms around him, and kisses him. As much as I wonder about the son's surprise and relief at that moment, I also wonder about the father's relief. His younger son is back, and so is a chance at redemption of their relationship. The father like the shepherd of the lost sheep and the woman of the lost coin, he rejoices for something lost has been found. Unlike the sheep and coin parable, though, this parable doesn't stop right there. We don't get Jesus saying for a third time, that same celebration will be held in heaven for any sinner who changes both heart and life. Instead, this third parable keeps going. Luke 15, verses 25 through 32. Now the, son's older, now the father's older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, the older son approached the house, and as he did, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your younger brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter into the celebration. But his father came out and begged him. The older son answered his father, look, I've served you all these years. I never disobeyed your instruction, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. 
Then the father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. A third character enters our story, the older son. We don't really hear much from him at the beginning when the younger son demands his own inheritance. We only hear from the older son when the younger son returns and this extravagant celebration is thrown. A celebration the older son doesn't even know about until he comes in from working the fields and he hears music and dancing. I wonder what fears of failure this son is harboring. We know he is the responsible son. He reminds me a lot of Martha last week. He knows his role and what is expected of him, and he follows through on those expectations. I wonder if he too lives with the fear of failure. Maybe at times he's afraid he's not going to live up to the responsibilities that have been put on to him by his culture. In this particular interaction, we see another fear. The older son not getting what he believes he deserves or what is rightly his. Of course, we can all understand his anger. I'm more interested in the father's response. The father says, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. For so long, the father has been worried about restoring this relationship with his younger son. It's at this moment, I believe, that the father may realize for the first time he needs to have a clear conversation with his older son too. He needs his older son to hear that he sees him, that he welcomes him, that he accepts him too. I love that the older son is included in this parable because it demonstrates that we are all in need of being found. Even the son who is with the father the entire time yearns to be seen. He fears being overlooked and underappreciated. And it's right here that the door opens up for a restored relationship between the older son and the father. And I'd like to assume that somewhere down the line, a restored relationship between the two brothers is possible too. We have all been lost. Whether we relate more to the younger son, the father, or the older son, we all know what it's like to live in fear, to dream of redemption. The good news for all of us is that through Jesus, we each are given the promise of restoration. We are all found through Christ. We are seen. We are accepted. We are welcomed. 
And it's only when we recognize this, this truth that we are able to act differently than the way the older brother acts. Instead of believing that we deserve it or we've done something to earn it, we have to find a way to celebrate and welcome others in so that they know what it means to be a part of the family. We've got to let others know that they too are seen, they are accepted, they are welcomed. No matter how they may have felt in the past, no matter how undeserving others may feel or maybe we may find them, they are still welcomed into the kingdom of God where we are all equally lost and equally found. Jesus tells these three parables as a response to the Pharisees and legal experts, the ones who at the very beginning of our scripture say, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Jesus turns the tables and shows that he came for all people. God's redemptive love is woven throughout the story of the prodigal son. We see it overcome fear in all three characters. God's redemptive love is woven through each of our lives too. Will we run to it with open arms and let it overflow into every relationship we enter after that? May it be so.